Welcome to It's All Journalism, a podcast where we talk to working journalists and media thought leaders about the day-to-day struggles of reporting the news. We share tips and stories to expand the conversation about the role of media in a democratic society with the goal of making things better. You can find out more about our podcast on our website, itsalljournalism.com, where you can find a link to sign up for our weekly email newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, at All Journalism, and look for us on Facebook. You can also subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts can be found. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this episode. If you told me like a year or two years ago that I would leave my daily newspaper job to do a newsletter, I would probably laugh at you because I didn't really take newsletters seriously. Newsletters are no longer just for promoting the content on your website or building up your mailing lists. Many news outlets are finding them to be effective tools for disseminating the news, covering their communities, and building relationships with their audiences. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Celine Sanfelice is a former features and enterprise reporter at the Capitol Gazette in Annapolis, Maryland, where she survived the June 2018 newsroom shooting. She's also a Pulitzer Prize special citation recipient and a Time Magazine Person of the Year for 2018. Celine recently left her job at the Gazette to become a reporter for Axios in Tampa Bay, where she and Ben Montgomery are producing a newsletter for the Tampa Bay community. Celine, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Okay, and we're also joined today by one of our other producers, Amelia Brust. Hey, Amelia. Hey, Mike. Hey, Celine. Hey. <laughs> so the reason you're sitting in on this is you you know Celine. Tell me about your relationship. Well, we actually went to high school together at Archbishop Spalding High School in Severn, Maryland. We actually did work on the high school newspaper together a little bit, and I've just you know, kind of kept up with her, with her awesome work via social media. So when she announced that she was going to be launching this newsletter, I was like, oh, we've definitely got to get her on and and talk about all the stuff. Because it's not just this, you've had an amazing career in such a short amount of time. So I'm sure people really want to hear about it. Well, thank you. And I want to say that I think Amelia is one of the first people who really showed me who I could be as a person in high school. And she always spoke her mind and just, I don't know, I always really admired her and she was an early role model for me. So I'm really happy to be able to reconnect with her in this way. Oh my God. I'm so glad the video is off right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we like Amelia too. I enjoyed working with her and I enjoy continuing working with her on the podcast. As Amelia alluded to, I mean, you graduated from uh, the University of Tampa in 2016, four years. You've had a pretty full career already. So, you know, tell me about some of your highlights and your, you know, how you got your interest in journalism. I went to the University of Tampa. Like you said, we went to Spalding together in Maryland, and I grew up in Maryland my whole life, and I was just ready to kind of go as far away as possible, so that's why I picked Tampa, and it was beautiful, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was 18. You know, I I always loved English, and I always loved writing, but you know, you're you're 18 years old and they're asking you when you pick a major to kind of set your path forward for the rest of your life. So I picked journalism and there was something about it that 
I thought really stuck. And I, I was like, I can do these little English assignments when they ask you to write one page on Grindel or whatever. And I liked doing them, even if they were kind of BS and I could do them really well. So I thought maybe if I can turn around one page assignments, I can do journalism. And that's not really what journalism is, um, but sort of. And so I really just took a guess and I got lucky. And when I got to school and I started writing for the student newspaper, The Minaret, I just absolutely fell in love with seeing my byline in the paper and having people read my work and reporting the news and influencing people with my writing. And so Yeah, I fell in love with it. And then I came back home after college. I did some internships in DC. I worked for Washington Blade, the newspaper. I worked for Washington Life, which is a luxury magazine in DC. I worked for the Tampa Tribune. Actually, my friend Tess and I were the very last interns there. We watched it get shut down. And so that was a very big lesson in journalism. Then I came back home and I started working for my hometown newspaper, The Capitol. Cool. What type of work, what type of stories were you covering there? Yeah. So I started at the Capitol as a general assignment reporter, which could mean anything you're covering. I was a night shift person, which night means we, I ended at like nine o'clock. So not too bad. And so I'd cover some late meetings. I would cover a vigil now and then. And mostly I was doing a lot of features, you know, they'd have you do some human interest features that didn't really fit in with other people's beats. And I loved doing that. I really, really fell in love with doing features. And I'd started doing some features in college. I was doing a lot of music writing in college, a lot of arts writing. And so I have a really strong feel for that. But when I started doing these human interest features and working with my editor, Rob Hyacin, it just clicked. Like telling people stories, no matter how big or how small, you can find really fascinating things and just make people fall in love with it. And so, yeah, that's what I started doing. I was there during the shooting in 2018. I'd been there for about nine months and my editor, Rob, along with four of my other colleagues were killed. I was in the newsroom that day. And so I was there at the Capitol for three and a half years before I left recently. And I never thought I would leave. I always thought I would stay there forever. And we would make this place, you know, it's just something totally different than it was, but they'll always be in my heart. Maryland will always be my home. The Capitol will always be my hometown newspaper and I'll always be fighting for them, but I'm still really excited to go back to Tampa and kind of start this new path. Have your experiences at the Gazette, you know, how did that sort of change your view of journalism? You know, it's been a few years since you left school. Yeah, it really showed me the importance of a hometown newspaper. And I think that especially working at a place like Axios, a big national outlet where we're going into local news, I want to make sure that, yes, we're having some friendly competition, but also that I'm lifting up the local news outlets and you know, I don't have to re-report what they do. So if the Times has a really great feature, I can just point people to that and say, you need to read this really great feature by Paul Guzzo or Chris Spada or, or whatever. And so I learned that lesson at the Capitol when I walked out of the newsroom that day and I thought, this is it. Like, we're just going to be shut down. And we kept putting out the paper the day after and every day after. 
And people really, really appreciated that. I mean, you don't feel a lot of love as a journalist sometimes, and especially as a local newspaper reporter, if you don't report the way that people want you to on the local development meeting or even the tiniest things, people will get really upset at you. And I had a lot of people calling me, telling me I was fake news or I was a bad journalist if I didn't do things the way that they wanted. But when people almost lost us, I think they realized no one was going to replace what the Capitol was. The Washington Post wasn't going to go to their lacrosse games or the tiny meetings to tell people that a condo is going to be built, you know, in their development and what that will mean for their school district and all of that. And so people really, really came out for us and showed us a lot of love. And you'll never be able to replace something like that with a larger corporate entity in terms of news. You really need boots on the ground, local reporters. And so I think people should stop underestimating that and stop just letting newspapers fold and and really start fighting for them. And supporting them, making sure that they're still around. Mm -hmm. So you're still in Maryland, but you've already sort of started this job at Axios. You know, tell me what you just said that you never thought you were going to leave, but what was it about this this new opportunity at Axios that sparked your interest? So I was in college. I met a man named Ben Montgomery. He was a journalist at the time for the Tampa Bay Times, and he had written a couple books already. And he came to speak to my class, and he was just really a cool guy. Like, he was just so fascinating. And I saw the kind of stories that he did, and... There were there were features, those really gritty features that I ended up, you know, falling in love with later, but there were also really big investigative pieces. And so I just looked at him and even though I didn't quite know what I wanted to do, I said, I know that I want to be just like this guy and just like his colleague Lane DeGregory and, you know, all those people at the top of the Tampa Bay Times in their investigative team. And so I kept in touch with Ben over the years. I ended up doing a project on him um, that I was too shy to ever show him when I was in school, but I kept in touch with him over the years and I was going to send him a Christmas card this past Christmas. And so I texted him and I said, you know, do I have your address right? And he was like, wait, I got this thing at Axios and I think it would be a really incredible opportunity for you. And I was like, oh my God. And I heard about it. And it's right now, as we're kind of starting up the Tampa newsletter, it's just me and Ben. Um, So we're working side by side, virtually, of course, right now. And I really like working with him. And it's really cool to be able to work side by side with someone like that, where he has so much experience in the Tampa area. You know, I went to college there, but I'm still kind of getting my sources and figuring things out, but he's got all this experience. And then I can also bring my experience to the table. And there are things that I know about that we find that Ben doesn't know about. And so it's this really cool startup within a startup kind of thing with Axios. And quite frankly, not having to work for Tribune Publishing and be constantly worried that Alden Globe Capital, the hedge fund that's buying out the company is going to shut us down every day. Not having to fear for my job every day does help. So I needed that change. And it's just something really, really new and and exciting. And I imagine that it's helpful that you had had that experience living in, in Tampa before so that you're familiar with the community may may actually have some sources and 
an idea of the things and the issues that are going on there that, that you're going to be reporting. Definitely. Definitely. So let me ask you this. You know, this is a newsletter. Newsletters are really kind of interesting because they take so many different forms in newspapers. Sometimes they're just strictly promotional, you know, a way to, to, to push out whatever uh, a publication or news outlet is trying to get out there. And others are, are actually kind of innovative and, and very forward-facing and really aggressive in how they cover the news. What have you and sort of Ben come up with with this, this newsletter concept? Yeah, I mean, if you told me like a year or two years ago that I would leave my daily newspaper job to do a newsletter, I would probably laugh at you because I didn't really take newsletters seriously. And Axios's smart brevity format where, you know, you've got a lot of bullet points and bolding and things where I called it kind of like people, you know, cutting up your food for you. I would have definitely not taken that seriously, but I have learned that it is actually incredibly hard to do a newsletter. And so as I've kind of thought about it more and thought about what I wanted to do with this, I realized that I have a lot of newsletters I subscribe to. A newsletter is a great thing when you think, oh, I'll definitely read that. And then you have hundreds of emails. Let me look at my phone right now. I have, let's see, a 278 unread emails. So, and that's only in one account. So it needs to be something that's not overwhelming and people need to get their news. And I think it's a really awesome thing that when I open up Mike Allen's AM newsletter in the morning from Axios, I am more inclined to open it up because I know I'm going to get the information that I need and it's only going to take three minutes or whatever. And it's super just fast. And I just can move on with my day. And so I wanted to be able to deliver people the news that they need without overwhelming them because everything is so overwhelming right now with, you know, everything that's going on in the world. You can get your local news in this way. That's really smart and have fun with it. We get to put our personality in it, which I love. We get to speak as Celine and Ben and become the people that people go to and trust to tell stories. So smart, it's quick, it's personal for us. And yeah, and we don't have to necessarily one for one compete. I get to lift up other local news outlets while I'm doing this too, which feels really great. So through a degree of aggregation. Yes. Sure. Uh, I use the word analyzing, uh, (laughs) which is a little nicer on our end than aggregation. But I mean, yeah, I, I get to say, you know, check out the times or check out this creative loafing story. And it seems like they really enjoy that. So I don't have to go about the business of completely re-reporting something. You know, this, this is what the, the environment in the communities are the news environment. There are other reporters out there covering the same beat and they are going to get stories that you're not going to get, or they're going to get them sooner. And uh, it's a waste of your time to sort of uh, recycle the reporting effort. If they've done a really good job, it's easier and a, a better experience for your your uh, reader to say hey check out this story somebody's done a really good job on it at the same time you know check out this reporting that i'm doing this original reporting that i'm doing you know what was it went into the decision of making it so personal that it's about you and ben that people are going to be getting the news from yeah well i think it's also part of that we have to compete with everything else in your inbox and if it can feel personal ben has been doing this since i was a toddler And I think I'm pretty good at my job and 
I think we both have really strong personalities and Axios knows that. So there's no reason to quash that. So why not have us be the people that you go to? Just like when I turn on the TV, I want to see Anderson Cooper before I see anybody else. Or if it's local, I want to see Pat Collins before I see anybody else. People that do the news are people. And I think there's a lot of talk right now or, or you know, the future might look like it comes from AI writing your news. And AI is not going to be able to do what Ben and I do. AI might be able to just write a bullet point or aggregate a bunch of stories, but it can't just be the person that you depend upon. So yes, this is a newsletter that we're putting together, but you can hit reply and it goes right to me and Ben. And you can say, hey, you know, I think you should check out this story. And then you can also learn the things at the bottom of the newsletter. We started doing this thing where we always tell people what we're listening to or what we're reading or what we're cooking or what games we're playing. And so you really get to know us as journalists and as people. And I think that's part of what the news is all about. It's about having that really good beat reporter that you know you can go and depend on. And they're a human being that you get to know. I mean, the news should also be fun, as hard and as difficult as it is and overwhelming sometimes. If you like us, you should be able to to get to know us. And so that's what we want it to be for people. You know, when you were providing one of the answers, you you revealed a little something where you you referred to your email inbox having, you know, 250 unread messages. We all as journalists get a lot of information coming with us and we have to monitor breaking news all over the place. How do you organize the news for you and your sources? Like I said, I, I think that this is a great news source for people, but it's not every single thing. And so we are lucky enough that we don't have to do some of the like smaller crime reporting stories that I used to have to do at the Capitol and that I know places like the Times and the local TV outlets do have to do. And so I kind of leave that stuff up to them. And I say, what are the top five or six stories? We can go up to 10 news items, but usually we're we're kind of doing a lot of reporting in that we want to concentrate some things. So usually in about five or six items, what are the most important things that people need to know? And What's going to make them smile? There's a lot of really cool arts and food and creative and crazy stuff going on in the area. So people will get that information sometimes by just scrolling past it on social media and maybe just reading a headline. And so I just want to take the things that I think that they should know in terms of what's really important and what will make them smile and deliver that to them in a really digestible way. And so it's kind of like the approach that we take to it is if you're sitting down at a bar with somebody and you're telling them about something that you read in the paper, just kind of tell it that way. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're the friends that you can go to, to know what's going on in the world. And we're telling you what you need to know. So yeah, we're looking around, not just at the Times, but at news sources around Tampa Bay. So you've got the Bradenton Herald, you've got Plant Cities, little newspapers. And yeah, we're looking all over the place at this. And I think it's just a really cool way of approaching the news. So I know you, you're in the process of moving down to Tampa. What is a typical day for you like, or what has it been at this point? 
so I'm still in the process of actually getting down there. And once I get down there, I hope that safely Ben and I can actually start to work on the news, like physically together. He just texted me this morning about kind of getting our arts roundup plan together to kind of tackle the art scene a little bit more. But usually I wake up in the morning and I have a bunch of sites that I'll usually check. So I'll open all of those sites, you know, the Times, Creative Loafing, Bradenton Herald, the Tampa Bay Business Journal, some of the the TV news, some of the smaller blogs. I'll just comb through them to look at what is what sparks my interest and what I think people need to know. And then I also will think about what I want to do originally. And so we'll have some original stories planned and some really fun things planned. And then I'll periodically throughout the day, go back to those sites and make sure I'm not missing anything. Keep my eye on social media for the news as well. And just kind of sort of begin to craft it all together with our voice and making sure it's digestible, like I said, not too overwhelming, but also that we're, whatever we're reporting on originally, that we're really making sure we do a good job. So just the other day, I did a story on human trafficking and also, I guess you could call it sex work, the sex trade. So there's anti-human trafficking efforts that go out, especially during the Super Bowl. But I also talked to a sex worker advocacy program and one of the advocates there about, you know, Does human trafficking actually increase when the Super Bowl comes to town? Does sex work actually, you know, have a higher demand when the Super Bowl comes to town? And the truth behind that, that I heard from both sides is not really, actually, there's no data to prove that, you know, human trafficking rates go up, but there are a lot more arrests that happen because police want to send a message and the NFL wants to send a message that human trafficking is not acceptable. And it does happen in times when people are traveling for big events, but for the NFL, for for the Super Bowl, not necessarily more than any other event. So I found that really fascinating. And that was something I hadn't seen reported anywhere else. And I took a long time to really make sure I could tell that story right. And so it ended up being a, a pretty long night for me. But I was really happy to do it. And I was really happy to get a story out there that I hadn't seen anywhere else. So when you're looking through things in the news, you want to make sure that you're getting people the news that they need, but you're also paying attention to what you don't see. And so I was really happy to deliver something that I, I hadn't seen. A point of context that we're recording this the, the Friday before the Super Bowl. So you're going to have a very busy weekend coming up. And yeah. hopefully, for one team in the Florida area, hopefully even more stories next week. So we will see. So what what's your favorite type of story to do? My favorite type of stories are those human interest stories that I can do about maybe a local artist or just somebody who needs help or, you know, the average person, someone that people don't know. You've never heard their name before. It's just your average Joe and something really fascinating about them. I think lots of people, everybody has a story to tell. And so being able to tell that story really, really well and get people to pay attention to this person that you would have never known before. That's what I really love to do. And so I'm still figuring out a way to kind of get to do that as we're, you know, kind of doing a newsletter every day. So back at my old job in the daily newspaper, I could take a whole day to just spend with a person like that or craft that story. Now I've got to kind of do this newsletter, make sure that people are getting all of the news they need every day. So I'm figuring out a way to still do those stories, but 
I also have a love for the arts and for music. And I used to cover a lot of concerts in college. And so my heart is definitely still in the arts and entertainment scene. And there's a ton of incredible artists of all kinds in the Tampa Bay area. So I can't wait to um, to show them off. So before we wrap up here, give me one reporting tip. One reporting tip. Oh, that's tough. I think one reporting tip is to make sure you're asking the questions that that people haven't asked before. And so I know that's silly, but I wanted to ask the mayor of Tampa the other day in an interview, you know, she was giving me a lot of answers that I kind of heard before. And so I thought she definitely wants to talk about how well things are going, which of course, you know, she's turned a lot of things around. It's, it's a really tough fight against coronavirus and all of these things. And so I said, okay, well, what worries you? So making sure that you're getting people to tell you something that people haven't asked them before and that maybe they haven't been given the opportunity. And so she kind of broke down a little bit of what worried her about economic development, kind of recovering and, and coronavirus. And so getting people to be a little bit uncomfortable is always a good thing. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Celine, this has been a delight talking to you. Amelia, do you, do you have anything you wanted to ask or add? Yeah, actually, I will kind of add on to that last question. So, Celine, I think like one thing that I feel like you did better than a lot of people is you found a way to kind of follow up on feature stories. Like normally, I think we kind of we look at human interest stories as sort of like one hit stories. And then you kind of it's like, oh, that was like a nice little snapshot in that person's life. And then you kind of move on, but you tended to sort of turn your, your feature stories into like series, especially like all the reporting you did on the like story time at the library in Annapolis that was run by, I think it was, it was like drag queens were doing story time for kids. Like the first story you read, you did on that. I was like, oh, that's a cool story. But then like that just kept evolving and you kept like sticking with it. And then also you did follow-ups to your stories on like people finding romance during the coronavirus in the Annapolis area. So like, I would wonder what advice do you have for feature writers who are also trying to like get more out of their, out of their reporting and how to turn something from just kind of a, a maybe a, a, a simple human interest piece into something a little bit more, more meaningful and more substantial. I would say that following up is the most important thing that you can do in terms of features. And so, yeah, you want to have that really good initial feature, but you also want to keep in touch with those people that you featured because a lot of times maybe they need help. Um, Maybe there's somebody in need or maybe, um, you know, uh, for instance, I I did that story on Dry Queen Storytime and it was kind of that you know, this program, Drag Queen Storytime, was coming to the library in Anne Arundel County. And this was something that was happening all over the country where Drag Queen Storytimes were coming to the library. And some people really, 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 really hated it. And you could have stopped there and been like, this is a controversy. But I followed it up and followed it up and it ended up with me going to library board meetings and sort of becoming like, the library reporter uh, for the rest of my time at the Capitol. And I 
was able to sort of dig really deep into what something like this does for a library system where, you know, even local papers that are getting into the really small minutia of local meetings and, and local, you know, out things, we don't pay that much attention to the library, but actually choosing a program like this, that's kind of controversial, um, it, it uprooted the process of choosing programs for the board. And it sort of, it just kind of made the library system do something they'd never had to do, which was really, really think about what they wanted for people in terms of something that was controversial and what they needed to stand up for. And so I got some files. I ended up getting their communications as a system. And I found that um, there were politicians who were asking the library to not do drag queen story time. So this was not just a, a small, oh, just some people don't like it kind of thing. This was the county executive telling them, stop doing drag queen story time. This was county councilmen telling them, stop doing drag queen story time. It makes me uncomfortable or it will make kids gay or whatever. And so this was a much, much bigger deal than it it seemed like at first. So yeah, keep following up. I had another story that if I can just talk about it very briefly, um, an alderman in Annapolis came to me and said, you know, they're shutting this house down for women who are in need, for older women in need. It's a historic home and the home had not kept up, I guess, with its renovations and the things it needed to do. So they sort of came to this conclusion where the house is unsafe for the women to live in, so we have to evict them. Well, you've got, I think it was four or six women who are, you know, older than at least 70 or older, and they're in need. And it's the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. And so not all of them had a place to go. So I did a story about one of those women who had nowhere to go and was frantically trying to pack her things and figure it out in the middle of the pandemic. And I followed that story up until I could safely say that and report that all of those women were able to, to get the help that they needed. Um, and so, yeah, it, it takes follow-ups for sure. Make sure that people know that even if your first story is the most interesting, that you can report in the last story that, you know, you changed something. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And that's, you know, I mean, we cover so many different types of things. And just following up, as you said, it opens so many other opportunities to tell different types of stories. Celine, Amelia, this has been great. Celine, thanks for coming on the podcast. I wish you luck and safe travels to Tampa. Keep in touch. Let us know how things are going with your newsletter. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it was awesome talking to you, Michael and Amelia. And um, yeah, I will be listening. <laughs> You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening. I wish we could, um, I wish we could somehow, um, like retroactively insert 
in the the part where you're talking about covering music, um, the roundup of all of the rap songs that featured like Cal Ripken. Okay. I feel like that needs okay. a special mention somewhere in here. I don't know where. But 